Well, welcome here to Restoration. Uh, I'm Pastor Rick, Pastor, and if you and I haven't had a chance yet to meet, I'd love to chat with you after the service. Uh, I'll be up here for a little bit or might go to the lobby or so, but um, also just feel free to talk to anyone around you uh, after the service. Uh, And if you've been here for a while, find someone you haven't seen or, or you haven't met yet and chat with them. Um, if, if you were here last week, uh, you know that we made a, a joke, and it was a joke to be clear, uh, about voting on the aisle and whether or not we should keep two aisles or, go, or, or keep the center aisle, which was unique to last week, or go back to two. And we did actually vote um, after the service. Uh, some of you may not have been here for that, and uh, praise the Lord. I, I don't think there's been a church split since then, uh, so that's great. Thank you, Jesus, for the unity that you've given us. Um, but I, I do love this. I, I love this arrangement. I love that uh, we're reminded by the baptismal font, um, which is always there, but now it's just all the more obvious and prevalent. And we're reminded that we come into the Lord's house, into his presence, through the waters of baptism. Uh, not on any of our own merits or not by anything that we ourselves have done, but because of Christ's righteousness. And when we go past through those waters, we are clothed with his righteousness. And so when you come and you sit here today, it is, it is on behalf of Christ. Uh, and so you can approach Christ, you can approach his table uh, without fear, uh, knowing that, that Christ goes before you. Um, yes, so today... Uh, we are still in the season of Epiphany. Uh, this is a season in which we commemorate the light of Christ going forth uh, uh, and, and spreading across the globe. And so you probably gleaned that, especially from uh, the, the, uh, the gospel reading from Matthew's gospel where Jesus calls the apostles, uh, apostle means sent one, uh, and then at the end of Matthew's gospel, he will send them out uh, to, to go out and make disciples across all, all the world. And so we are reminded of that continually. Uh, today, I'm going to be preaching from Psalm 139. And so turn there in your bulletins or, uh, or maybe your own Bible, maybe you brought one or the, the Bible in front of you in the pew rack there. This is a beautiful psalm. Uh, th- this traditionally is attributed to King David and it is elegant and complex, but at the same time, it's simple and accessible. Uh, it's poetic and you know, uh, uh, for those of you, I think I see some kids in here today. Uh, not all of them are in children's ministry, but kids can read this and still be comforted by its lines. Uh, and at the same time, an adult can read this and be challenged uh, by the complexity of emotions that are in this. Uh, we can all be mystified by the places that it takes us. This spans the, the plane of human emotion. It speaks of both God's majesty, but also his intimate creative powers. And it draws our attention also to the darkness and the the struggles of this world and the sin that boils within us and uh, the injustice that we're encountered with in this world. So I don't know how familiar you are with this psalm. It's always a challenge as a preacher to to preach on a text that's very familiar to people. Uh, Some of you might even have this um, memorized, uh, or this might be the first time that you've heard these words. So I'm not going to try to preach anything novel from this. Uh, I I just want to preach the psalm. I want to walk us through it. And and I hope that through this, the Holy Spirit has something for you. Uh, That the Holy Spirit um, challenges you, but also comforts you. Um, And in fact, on that note, let's let's pray. Oh God, uh, this this is such a beautiful passage that uh, has been stewarded to us through your holy scriptures by the church, and and we now read it here today. 
And so, Lord, I do pray that these words um, with, would both prick our hearts and, and challenge us, um, not because uh, you are petty, um, but because you want to form us more like you. And so, Lord, as, as your people gathered today, do that, Lord. Send your Holy Spirit upon us. Shape us and fashion us and mold us to be more into the likeness of your beloved Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray all these things. Amen. So you can probably see there in your bulletin that it's, it's structured in four different stanzas, uh, three on the left page, uh, another, the fourth stanza being on the right page. And I want to walk us through each of these four stanzas. So in that first one, verses 1 through 6, uh, this is the opening section. And, and here it's, it's pretty obvious what David is saying. He's, he's, using, he's sort of throwing every word in the book to describe the way in which God knows him. And this applies to all of, the, all of us. This isn't unique to King David. You don't have to be a, a king on the throne uh, for this to be true. He says here, Lord, you have searched me. You know me. You discern my thoughts. You're acquainted with my ways. In other words, God, you know me through and through. You know me completely. You know every bit of me. And then I love in verse 5, it says, and you hem me in behind and before me. Now, that, that phrase, you hem me in, the, the word hem, uh, in the Hebrew, it's, it's actually um, uh, kind of a militaristic term, kind of a violent term even. Uh, it means to besiege something, uh, to encompass it. In fact, if you have another uh, Bible translation different than the one that we have, you, you might see a different, more militaristic uh, translate, uh, word there in that spot. And at first, I can kind of sound a little bit threatening, like, oh my goodness, like God's coming after me. Um, but I, I don't think that's David's intent here. I don't think he's implying danger. Uh, in, in the language of this, it kind of reminds me of uh, our, our dear baby John, who we just uh, welcomed into the world about a year ago. Uh, so he's at that stage now where he's, he's kind of figuring out how to walk. And I say kind of because he, he just kind of bumbles around and he bumps into things and falls over. Um, but, but he's also exploring everything. He's, he's testing the boundaries. Uh, quite, quite literally, actually, he'll come up to the edge uh, of, of a level uh, before stairs and he'll just kind of like teeter at the top of it. It's really terrifying to watch. Uh, or, or then sometimes he'll see my wife Molly looking in the oven and he'll be really curious what mom is so interested in. And so he'll like go bumbling over there like really quickly now. And so what do we do in reaction to this? Either, either myself or, or Marin, I've seen you or your sisters do this. You go very quickly and you hem the child in with your arm behind and beside. And then you scoop them up from the danger. And sometimes that can have a rattling effect on the baby. Uh, sometimes he can scream, especially if he doesn't see what the danger was. Um, and so what do we do? We, we smother him with kisses and pats on the back and we assure him, you are mine. I know you. I know what's best for you. And I think that's the image here of what David is implying in, psalm, in, in the first stanza of this psalm. God, our Father, sees us. He knows us completely. And he wants to hem you in. He wants to gather you up. He wants to, to, to smother you, dare I say. Um, your Father in heaven loves you. He knows you. So let's move to the second here, the psalmist asks, where can I flee from your presence? Not to the heights of heaven or the, the lowest of lows, that is Sheol. 
And then he points to the east and the west. He says, if I, if I uh, were to touch the rising sun on the east, or if I were to go to the sea at the west, you would be in, in either of those places and, and everywhere in between. This kind of reminds me of uh, the prophet Jonah, right? Do you remember this? When God is like, hey, I want you to go to Nineveh uh, over there in the east. And Jonah's like, okay. And he turns the other direction and he goes west. <laughs> uh, and he goes to the sea. He gets on a boat only to find that God is waiting for him there. God is with us. He's with you wherever you go. You might think that you're running from him. You might think that you're fleeing from a difficult situation and, or sticking your, your hands over your ears, trying not to listen. But God finds you. God finds you. So if you're new to the world of the Bible, there's this season in, in Jewish history called the exile. And this was a season in which the, the Jewish people were basically captured, taken away from their homes into pagan lands. Uh, they were told to, uh, to worship other gods and, and to leave behind their loved ones and their treasured possessions. And uh, some of them succumbed to those temptations and some of them resisted it. It was a really troublesome time in the nation's history. Can you imagine having this psalm come to your mind as you're in the midst of those kinds of troubles? I mean, this, they would have had the Psalter, uh, the, the, the book of Psalms, they would have had this memorized And so there they are in these dark pagan lands. And then these verses, like verse 11, might come to their mind. Surely the darkness shall cover me. They look around. Yes, the darkness has covered me. And the light about me could be as night. Things are so dire, so desperate. But even the darkness, O Lord, is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light to you. God goes with us everywhere. Wherever you might be, he finds you. Now that brings us to the third stanza. Here we read these famous words. They're beautiful. We hear them constantly, right? You knit me together in my mother's womb. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I was made in the secret and fashioned in the depths of the earth. I love that that poetic way of describing the womb, the depths of the earth, the place, the secret place, right? So one of the honors that I have as a pastor is, is I get to sit down and, and listen to many of your stories. Now, many of you would, would probably, the, the, when you talk about the way in which you came into this world, your birth story, uh, some of you would describe it, quite frankly, as complicated. Perhaps your own mother was not aware of your existence, while she carried you in her womb for a while. Or maybe she was aware of you, but she, didn't, she wasn't necessarily eager for you to arrive. Well, it's as if for those first moments of existence, you were buried in the depths of the earth, in a secret cave of the earth, you could say. And while you feel that in a very acute way, I, I think even, even if, if your mother did want you or desire you, Think about this. There was still a moment in time in which your existence had not yet been discovered by her. And so for all of us, there is a moment in time when the only one who knew about your existence was God Almighty. And what was he doing? He didn't just know about you and was like, oh, yeah, that's, that's cool. That'll, you know, whatever. No, he's, he's present there. His creative forces are at work there. 
In the same way in which his spirit hovered over the waters in Genesis, or or a couple weeks ago when we talked about the spirit of God hovering over the water at the baptism of his son, there in the deep places of the earth, in those secret places, he's knitting you together with his same creative forces. His, His miraculous work is at hand there. God was busy delicately weaving you together. So one can easily see when you read this psalm, both this simultaneously, you see these two truths that play together. You see this grand portrayal of God who knows everything, who is everywhere. But yet we also see him caring about every individual human life. Yours, mine, every human life. And so this is why we can see for the church, the church loves to lean into those places where life is most at risk. And we can talk about this in a political way, and, and I, don't, I don't mean it to, to draw across partisan lines or, or whatever. I, I, I just mean, like, God values life, whether that's uh, uh, life at its conception, its moment of conception, or, or the final breaths of life. And so that's why the, vo- the, the voice of the church has often been against things like abortion on one end or euthanasia on the other. But then also all other threats to life from beginning to end. Whether that's caring for those who are arriving on our, on our front door with hardly any resources available to them. Or those whose dignity has been ripped from them because of heinous crimes that they've committed. And, but, but they've changed and they want dignity in their life. Any act of violence which seeks to destroy life... The church has opposed. Now, granted, there is a complexity in all of this, right? Because anytime someone is contemplating ending a life, either their own or that of another, usually it's in the context of great vulnerability. It's when they're being confronted by, by multiple waves of unbearable pain and challenge. And so like Jesus, our Savior, we sit in those moments and we, we listen to those vulnerabilities. We listen to what those challenges are. And we offer words of hope and of healing and of restoration. So when I say the church ought to lean into those places where life is at risk, what do I mean by that? What does that look like specifically here at Restoration? Well, I kind of want to brag on you because I I love seeing what what you all do here at the church, what you, the people of God, do. Uh, there's several ministries that you partner with, like one is New Life Ministries. One of you is on the board at New Life. Uh, this is a, a ministry that offers an abundance of resources to those who are pregnant. It also offers care groups for those who have experienced abortion and, and, and want to know how to process that event in a, in a delicate and tender sort of way. New Life is awesome at that. And you have questions about that, like talk to me, talk to anyone on staff. Um, we would love to help you um, uh, process those things or learn more about this ministry. And in fact, there's going to be a tour later at this month. Um, that New Life is offering. But also there's another ministry called Together for Good, which provides temporary housing uh, for children in crisis. And a lot of you have opened your homes uh, with Together for Good, and you, you um, help these kids who are facing very, very dire situations. Some of you are, are uh, working as foster parents, or some of you have adopted kids yourselves. You've expanded the, the scope of your family by bringing others in. And I could talk on and on about this. 
We could talk about prison fellowship and the prison ministries and how some of you even here, there's, there's a, a group of women who've been formerly incarcerated who meet here in the church and some of you provide meals to them, showing them the love of the church, that we are here for you and we come alongside you and we want to see dignity and hope in your life. I could talk about vocational decisions that a lot of you have made on account of your faith and account of your passion for life and dignity for those who are vulnerable. Decisions to go into uh, the medical field. Decisions to pursue justice for the poor and the vulnerable. Decisions to go uh, provide proper education to those who don't have access to that. I love seeing what you, the people of God, are involved in here. Um, and, and, I, and I hope to create more opportunities where we can share more of these stories and learn more about this and be an encouragement to one another as we pursue these difficult, challenging, sometimes chaotic places. And sometimes this is the kind of ministry where it's two steps forward, five steps back. Um, and, and we need to support one another as, as brothers and sisters, as the church. Because, as we say in our creed, we worship the Lord who is the giver of life. And we, his people, want to be a part of that ministry. So, what about this fourth stanza? Now, I don't know about you, but this, this one's a little jostling, right? Uh, as you were hearing this read uh, this morning, did, maybe you had a thought like me where we come across that fourth stanza and we're like, really, is this one supposed to be a part of this psalm? Like, maybe that goes with one of the other ones. Um, and in fact, our lectionary doesn't include it. Um, Maybe this was arrogant, but I was like, ah, we can, we can do all of Psalm 139. So I included that in the, uh, in the reading for today. Uh, C.S. Lewis, he, he comments on this, and he, he kind of alludes to this borderline and uh, like irrational tone that sort of comes across in this. Um, because here we, we, we're confronted with these declarations, you know, these, we go from these beautiful declarations of God and who he is to now these calls for acts of violence, like, Wait a second, just one second ago, we're talking about the God of life, and and now there's this? What's going on here? Uh, So there's almost this irrational tone. In in C.S. Lewis, he says this. He says, The psalmist calls for the slaying of the wicked, as if such a simple remedy for all human ills had not yet occurred to God Almighty. (laughs) God's like, oh, ah, good idea. Let's let's do that one. Now, okay, I, I don't mean to... Yeah. On, on one level, the, the beauty of it is the Psalter, the Psalms, the book of Psalms, teaches us how to pray. Uh, all, and it covers the entire emotional gamut, right? And so here we see language that the Bible is giving us to pray when we ourselves actually do feel this way. And I think if we're being honest, all of us in the room, myself included, maybe I'll just speak for myself, I've felt this way before. Um, if you want to hear those stories, uh, you know, we can discuss that over a beverage sometime. So, again, what do we say about this fourth stanza? Well, keep in mind, this is written by King David himself. He is a king. He's God's king. He's the king of Israel. And we know that there is a very specific situation that he's being confronted with in this moment. Uh, verse 20 makes that clear. He, he says there are enemies here. They're speaking blasphemy against your name, God. Uh, that's a way to say that they're mocking your power. Uh, they, they don't think that you're actually real and alive, God. Are you going to do something about this? Now, as God's anointed king, David's enemies are the same as God's enemies in a way that is not true for me and you. Uh, th- this isn't just simply a, a playground squabble that's sort of unfolding uh, here in the scriptures. 
No, this is a, a personal enemy of David is a threat to God's plan of salvation. And so here we see God's king praying against God's enemies. But at the same time, I, 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 don't, I don't mean to imply that uh, praying like this is somehow off limits to us. Because again, these words from the psalm have been passed down generation by generation faithfully by the saints before us as a model for prayer. We, as God's redeemed people, he has given us his heart. And through the holy scriptures, he's trained our minds to pursue the ways of justice and of peace. He's revealed his will to us, ultimately through his son, Jesus Christ And through these things, our imaginations are continually caught up in awe of the righteousness of God. We're enraged by the injustices that we see in our world. And hopefully, by God's grace, by the Holy Spirit continually working in us, we ourselves are moral creatures who are rattled by sin. Now, I'm not saying we always get it right, but we are perceptive. And we, uh, again, if we've been filled with the Holy Spirit, sin angers us. It rattles us. And so what do we do with that, with those feelings? Well, what does David do with it? He writes them down. He takes them in front of God and he says, examine this. Examine this. Is this right? Are these just feelings that I'm supposed to have, God? And I don't know how God answers that. All we have here are the questions. But we're supposed to take all of our messiness, all of our concerns, all of the injustices that we feel, and we're supposed to hold them in front of God and wait and see how he responds. Maybe he'll respond uh, through another passage in the scripture. Maybe he'll respond through the wisdom of a friend uh, or some other of his many, many means of speaking to us. But what David does is he says, try me and know my thoughts Some translations say, test me, O God. You see, these questions are not not David testing God. These questions are opportunities for God to test us. And so we hold these things in front. Say, test me, search me. So let's actually do that for a second. My guess is that as we've moved through this psalm this morning... My guess is various thoughts and emotions have sort of been bubbling up within you. Maybe it's uh, stirred up questions of, of home life. Maybe it's stirred up issues of political life. Maybe it's stirred up disagreements in, in previous churches or perhaps even with someone here in this room. You hear words like, God knows me. God sees me. God made me. What does this stir up within you? Now, do you immediately reject these ideas from the scriptures? Do you think of grievous things in your own past that haunt you, that that you regret? Yes, God might know me, pastor, but surely he can't love me because of that. Or maybe like David, your, your mind turns to others who've hurt you and you pray things like, hey, if you are the God of the universe, then do something about these people over here. Well, friends, not only does God know you, not only does God see you, but God listens to you. He hears these concerns. He hears these messy things that are inside of all of us. Now, maybe it's not going to be canonized in Holy Scripture, but I think David's prayer here was so that we would be emboldened in our prayers. 
so that we ourselves, when we're grappling and wrestling with, with all sorts of things, that we can bring them before the God who goes with us everywhere, the God who already knows us completely, the God who hears our doubts and our sorrows. He is the God who hears our cries for justice. He holds our brokenness in his hand. And not only does he listen to these things, he does something about it. That's why Jesus came into the world. God in the flesh. And it's why he went upon that cross. Because he takes all of the sin, all of the darkness, all of the struggles of this world, and he takes it upon himself, upon his shoulders, in his own body. And he takes it to death. He takes it down into the depths of Sheol. He takes all of our sin and sorrow down into Hades itself, atoning for all of our sin, our sorrow, and our sickness, proving his love for us, proving that he listens to our prayers and he does something about it. And then it goes on from there. He, raise, he rises from the dead, proving that we have hope for that everlasting life with him. And that's why in this passage, it ends Lord, if there are any grievous things in me, any grievous way in me, lead me in the way of everlasting life. Jesus Christ has paved that way for us. He's shown us that our burdens are not too much for him. That when we bring our burdens to him, when we confess our sin to him, when we bring all the messiness of the world before him, he pronounces forgiveness over us and he shows us the way of everlasting life. So may this guide us in our prayer with our Lord. May we pray things like, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts. And if there's anything grievous within me, by the power of the cross of Jesus Christ, take it away from me and lead me in the way of everlasting life. So in a moment, we're going to be approaching the Lord's table. And like I said, with both the baptismal font and and in this message and, and God hearing our prayer, he also nourishes us. He wants to give us food for the journey. So that as we leave here and go into the world and we proclaim the goodness of his grace to a lost and broken world, we ourselves have been nourished by him. His his presence is with us. And so when you come forward today, may this be a, a sort of an embodied act of prayer. When you stand up and walk down the aisle, may you do so with your hands open, just saying, Lord, all I have, I give to you. And then receive from him. Receive the gift of his presence in the bread and the, and the wine or the, the juice to receive from him his very presence, that he is the one who feeds your soul, who bandages your wounds, and will one day make all of us whole. Please pray with me. Lord Jesus Christ, you have come down to this earth. You have descended down to where we are and you have seen the mess of this world firsthand, a mess that, that we ourselves caused. It's a mess that happens both within us and in the world itself. And so, Lord, we are grateful that you are here, that you are with us, that you know us, and that, Jesus Christ, you have redeemed us with your blood. So Lord, I pray for every man, woman, and child who is here. Lord, may we continually come to you with boldness, come to you, our God, our God of grace, the one who listens to us. We bring our burdens before you. We bring our our guilt before you. We bring our shame before you because you are a God who equips us for healing. So do that again, Lord, today.
Meet us at the table, Lord Jesus, when we come to you. It's in your name and for your glory we pray all of these things. Amen.